You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. All right, how are we doing this afternoon? You know, uh, you guys are the hardcores because you made it through all the barriers and through all the rain and all of that. So uh, I'm pretty stoked that you guys were able to make it to church today. And you know, it's like almost a miracle that you made it today. So you know God has something awesome for you. You know, uh, like Robbie said, we're starting this new series um, called Think About It, Right? And uh, over the years, no doubt, some of you have been exposed to those tests, you know, that kind of categorize people as thinkers and feelers, right? Like the Myers-Briggs and stuff like that. So how many of you would raise your hands and say, I am a feeler. I'm a bona fide feeler. I'm passionate about life. Okay, I see all the feelers out there, passionate people. Love me some feelers, right? And then uh, how many of you would say, I'm a thinker? Uh, you know, I have to think it through. Yeah, I know you are thinking. So, how much you guys are thinking? So, here's the deal: that um, those of you that are feelers, the thinkers, they think you're a little shallow. Okay, not trying to be rude about it. That's what they think about you. Okay, but don't get too uppity, thinkers, because the feelers feel like you're boring. Okay, so uh, don't 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 throw stones here, right? Um, but over the years, I've had these conversations with people about their faith and their belief and the like, and uh, you know that. Um, people over the years have seen belief like a chair, right? You, you sit in the chair, and like you today, you sat in a chair indicating that you believed that the chair would hold you up. And as I've had conversations with people throughout the years about why they sat in the chair of belief, I get all kinds of answers, right? And I've heard some people give me some answers like, well, you know, Doug, I, I believe because um, I grew up in the church and this is my heritage, this is my culture, to believe in God. I've had other people tell me, well, you just got to believe it's like a leap of faith. You just have to jump out there and, and believe it and buy into it. And, you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. Can I tell you, just real straight up? I mean, I'm not against your heritage. I love your heritage. But if, you're, if you grew up and your parents told you that chupacabras are real and stuff like that, I don't know if I'm going to buy into that, okay? I need a little more evidence than perhaps um, that has been presented uh, about, you know, that type of, of belief, you know? At, at the same time, um, I think that there are some on the other extreme of things in the New Atheist Movement led by uh, Richard Dawkins who position believers as ignorant drones who believe in foolish superstitions um, and are anti-science. Is that true? about people who believe in God and believe in Christ? Well, I don't think that's very fair. Let me take you back to the founders of science. Let's look at Copernicus, who's the astronomer who explained to us that the planets orbit around the sun, that we live in a heliocentric universe. Copernicus believed in God. Galileo, who has been named the father of science and the father of physics, believed in God. Then you have Isaac Newton, who was the mathematician and physicist and astronomer who discovered the law of gravitation, helped us understand that. Listen to uh, what Isaac Newton said about belief. Atheism is so senseless. When I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. Now, we'll come back to that thought later on. And some of you might think, well, that's just those scientists way back in the day in past 
history. But if you get closer to today, let me show you a couple of science, uh, scientists. One is the author of a book called God and the Astronomers. His name is Robert Jastrow. He is the founder and director of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. And look at what Jastrow said about belief. For the scientist who has lived his uh, who has lived by his faith in the power of reason. The story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. And then there's the other scientist that I want to show you named Francis Collins, a physician, geneticist, and in 2007, he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Collins is the, was the director of the National Human Genome Research Institute, and he's devoted his life to mapping human DNA. And Collins tells his story in his book, The Language of God. And in that book, he describes how uh, he was a graduate student and an atheist as he was studying quantum mechanics. And then after graduate school, he went to medical school, and he became a medical doctor, and he was helping people in their final years of life, and he noticed and observed how continually people had, who had faith were helped to go through their traumatic experiences and even helped as they entered into the next life as they died. And one day, uh, Dr. Collins was uh, working with one of his patients, and she asked him, Dr. Collins, what do you believe? And that question struck him funny. He studied a lot of important things, but he'd never thought about his own chair of belief. He had never uh, looked at it. And so he took two years and he studied it. And he came to believe that not only is there a God, but he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And so why is it that thinking people like Francis Collins and Robert Jastrow and the founders of science have put their faith and trust in God? because they've examined their chair. And that's what I want to challenge all of you today, whether uh, to do today, whether you're a believer or still investigating, I want to submit this one transformative idea, inspect your chair, because the stakes are so high. Not only does it affect you in this life and your quality of life in the here and now in this reality, because Jesus says he came that we might have life and experience it to the full, and that's available to you if you can believe in him. But more importantly, it affects potentially your afterlife if you've not gotten the belief thing right. Would you want to sit on a chair that will collapse into an eternity without God? So... Please inspect your chairs. Now, believers, some of you sat in the chair of belief in God at a young age. And just because you did that before you had the opportunity to examine it intellectually doesn't mean you sat in the wrong chair. And I hope this series, starting today and in the next few weeks, will help you examine your own chair of belief. Those of you who are friends and relatives that have come that are agnostic, atheists, or unbelievers, I don't want you to feel disrespected or vilified at all here. I'm glad that you came. I respect you for coming here, and I believe everyone here will give you respect for coming and exploring God at your own pace. And even if you choose not to believe, we want you to know here at City Church that we're still friends, and you're welcome here. So all of you who are regular City Church tribal members, 
Would you raise your hand if you will support all of those who come here to explore in faith, even if they never believe? Good. Thank you, guys. So you see that you're in the midst of a group of people who are for you, not against you. See, you're welcome to come here and explore and question. Now, Paul was a, a man who wrote much of the New Testament of the Bible. And scholars tell us that the Apostle Paul was actually one of the foremost intelligent men of his day. And I want to read to you what Paul said about belief in the New Testament book of Romans. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. It says there, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, Paul's a little more straightforward than I am. He'll just shoot you straight there, and he'll say, you got no excuse for not believing in God. And I'm going to unpack what that means. I learned from uh, a philosopher and artist named Yandel Woodfin, who uh, has more PhDs than what I can name right now. But he showed me uh, years ago four legs on the chair of belief. Now, there are many more than four legs on the chair of belief, but we only have enough time to deal with four of them today. So let me show you the first one, and it's called the cosmological argument. Say the word cosmological with me. Ready? Here we go. Cosmological. And that just simply means cause and effect. For every effect, there is a cause. So when you see those dominoes hit, something caused that first domino to fall to create uh, that effect. Now, we see our universe here, right? That is an effect. So how did it get here? Well, how did it start? Well, there are three options that philosophers have given throughout the years. The first one is that the universe is eternal, that the universe is eternal. But that violates the second law of thermodynamics, that is the law of entropy. Everything is running down and wearing out. You can Look at your own physical body to know that, right? I mean, my physical body is uh, starting to wear down, you know what I mean? Even people who can afford all those plastic surgeries and Botox, and they always look, you know, like really surprised. You know, they, they, it, eventually it's going to start to wear out and sag, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because of the second law of thermodynamics. But a second option of how the universe came into being is that uh, it was self-created, that um, the universe just created itself. Well, that violates the first law of thermodynamics, that nothing produces nothing. So zero plus zero equals what? Zero. That's why it's most logical to believe the third option, that the universe was created by someone who is eternal. That's what Paul said, that it was created by an eternal being, God. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and know that God created it. So let me show you the second leg on the chair of belief, and this is called the teleological argument. So say the word teleological with me. Ready? Here we go. Teleological, and that just simply means design reveals a designer. Now, I like the language of fine-tuning in design of the universe, and I got that language from a scholar named William Lane Craig who wrote a really great book called On Guard. In fact, uh, we'll feature William Lane Craig on Tuesday nights, uh, Thinking Deeper with Pastor Doug, uh, by way of video in a video debate. But Craig explains that God is the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe that it was designed for 
human life. Now, I want to go back to Francis Collins for just a minute because Collins says that there are 15 constants in the universe that all have to be in concert and precisely working together all at the same time or life is not possible. One of those constants is gravity. And if any one of the 15 constants is not working exactly right, then you and I are all dead. And there is no earth. There is no solar system. And that is more than just a coincidence. It's kind of like if you're in a poker game with someone and the guy deals himself four aces 20 times in a row. You know that ain't a coincidence, right? And in Texas, we have ways of dealing with people who deal cards like that, don't we? See, it's all by uh, design. It's all happened intentionally by a designer. But let me show you the third leg on the chair belief, and it's that we find meaning in beauty and morals. We find meaning in beauty and morals. Usually the reason that you look at something and find it beautiful is because you, you see meaning in that which is beautiful. That's why we like to look at paintings. That's why we like to listen to music. That's why we like really good architecture. That's why some people watch that channel HGTV all the time and log into Pinterest. You know what I'm saying? That's why guys like a, a beautifully designed car or a motorcycle or a really well-designed football uniform. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we love beauty. That's true in the culinary arts as well. When you go to fine dining establishments and you get a good steak, it's presented well. It looks beautiful. Your mouth waters. Your mouth is watering thinking about it as I speak about it right now because you can picture that beautiful steak in your mind. Those of you who are vegetarians, they make that beautiful leaf, you know, <laughs> that you're picking to eat. We are designed uh, to like that which is beautiful and find meaning in it. But we're also designed to find meaning in moral code, in morals, uh, moral guidelines. So if there's no lawgiver, there are no moral laws. So the Nazis, as they killed the Jews in the Holocaust, if there's no moral lawgiver, there are no moral laws, then that was nothing more than the strong taking advantage of the weak. It wasn't wrong. It was just like a wolf chasing down and hunting a lamb. So some cultures who follow the Judeo-Christian ethic and actually apply it would say that we love our neighbors. And then there are other cultures that don't that say we eat our neighbors. Which culture do you want to live in? The one with God or not, see? So Paul, as he explores this, he's smart enough to know that belief is far more nuanced than just the logical arguments. No doubt the logical arguments are important, but there's more to it than just that. And Paul wisely makes a connection between belief and our sensual, even sexual kinds of desires. Because some people make a choice. I don't want to believe in a God who would tell me how I should engage sexually. You know what I'm saying? So uh, let me show you this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. 
As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. So our motives are significant in coming to a place of belief. Sometimes people will deny the cosmological, teleological, and moral arguments because of um, sexual mores and motivations. In fact, uh, this past couple of weeks I was reading things from the New Atheist Movement, and I ran across a blogger, writer, atheist Adam Lee, who writes for The Guardian, and he is critiquing the New Atheist Movement when he says the movement is filled with, and I'll quote him, dangerous sexual harassment online and oft that's designed to intimidate women into silence. And so it's commonplace in that philosophy when you have a group of people who don't have a lawgiver, nor do they want to submit to someone uh, regarding moral code. Now, Paul could put together all the logical arguments, but it was incomplete until he had the fourth leg supporting his chair of belief. And let me show you what it was. He had a God experience. He had a God experience. A mysterious God will reveal himself in unique ways to human beings so that they can sense and know in their hearts that he is real. What would have transformed a man like Paul? He was a very intelligent man, very smug, could debate and argue with the best of them, and he actually hated the Christians. In fact, he sought them out to persecute them and kill them. Why would he just all of a sudden change his mind and become the greatest proponent of Christianity on the earth? Because on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse. He was on the ground. He saw a light. He heard a voice, had an experience of God where Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, his heart was changed because he submitted to an experience of God. He could have rebelled against that experience, but he chose to submit to God, and it changed his heart to a point where he would later say, I would myself be accursed for the sake of my kinsmen, my brothers according to the flesh. In other words, he's saying, I'd go to hell apart from Christ to make sure that you experience God in heaven. That is a burden and a passion and a love for people that this man had never had before in his life because there's something far more going on than just the intellectual and logical arguments for God. There's a mysterious God who works by his spirit and draws people and cuts through our hearts to the real core of the matter and what we're considering in our minds. I'll never forget sitting down with an unbelieving man in my office a few years ago, and I respected him because he was willing to come and talk to me about his marriage, even though he doesn't believe. And as we engaged in conversation, I asked him if he'd mind uh, if I just prayed for him. And one of the things I appreciated about him was that he, he was fine with me praying for him. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I started to pray. And as I prayed, something kind of surprised me. Something weird happened. He started to like shake. And he started to cry. 
like tears just flowing down his face. And when I ended the prayer and said, amen, I said, hey, man, did you like just have a God experience or something? And he said, yes, I did. But you know, if that story would have gone the way I wanted, he would have begun a relationship with Christ and believed, but he chose not to. And he chose not to believe, not because there weren't logical arguments that I'd already walked him through, but because he wanted to pursue another woman who was not his wife and ended up divorcing a good woman in order to pursue a woman that he was having an adulterous relationship with, and it brought upon him a truckload of guilt, shame, and pain that wasn't necessary. Now, I understand doubts. I get it. Because I have my doubts from time to time. And I'll tell you this, of all the people in this room, the one person who could doubt because he wants to go do his own thing and go totally wild is standing right here, right now. I'll just be very straight with you. I mean, sometimes I have my doubts. But you know what keeps me from flying off and going crazy? God experiences. As Paul has said, I'm without excuse. Look, I've told this story in church many times when a group of us went down to Mexico and we experienced a demon-possessed woman who was manifesting these demons through her, and she was able to speak to my interpreter and tell my interpreter since she had committed years before that she was embarrassed about. How did that demon-possessed woman know about my interpreter's sins? And then when our group prayed, the demon-possessed woman ran away screaming, quit your praying. And this didn't happen in a vacuum somewhere. It happened in a town square in front of many witnesses. And there are witnesses that live in San Antonio who were there and saw that happen. Furthermore, year, some years ago, my son used to have a disease that doctors said he would have for the rest of his life. And we had the elders of the church pray over my son and ask for healing. We can't control God and when he wants to heal and how he wants to do it. But for whatever reason, God graciously chose to heal my son. And it wasn't just th this thing where we're saying, oh, you know, someone was healed of a headache or, oh, you know, we're proclaiming a healing. We took him straight up to the doctor, the best specialist in this city who took my son's case to another group of doctors that he worked with. And he was a Christ-following man. And he told us this is the first miracle that he's experiencing. And he said, I'm no longer treating your son for this disease. So look, I'm without excuse. I can't guarantee you a God experience, that's up to him. God's sovereign, he does what he wants. But here's what I wanna challenge you with, is that if you do have an experience of God, it may be very unique to you, very different from the ones I've had, but do you have the courage to embrace it and believe if you have a, an experience with God? Are you gonna be like the car that caught the dog? Or the dog that caught the car, rather, right, when they chase it? You wonder what he's going to do if he ever catches that car. And that's why I want to challenge you to pray what I'm going to call the seeker's prayer. And the seeker's prayer is where you just go to God and say, God, if you're really there, would you reveal yourself to me? And so with that in mind, how about we bow for just a moment? And I'm not going to point you out and embarrass you or anything like that, but if you would have the courage to pray the seeker's prayer if you're not a believer... 
Just pray something like this in your own heart and mind between you and God. Just say, God, look, if you're really there, would you please reveal yourself to me? But God, here's the deal. If you do reveal yourself to me, I will choose to believe in you, and I will submit my life to you. As we continue in prayer, if you just prayed that and you'd feel comfortable to do so, everybody's eyes are closed. If you'd feel comfortable to just look up at me real quick um, and let me know that you just prayed that seeker's prayer. Just look up real quick. Good. Anybody else? Good. Excellent. Thank you for, thank you for trusting me with that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to do something for you. Just go ahead and put your, your head down and close your eyes again. The rest of us who are believers here, we'd like to pray for you if you'd be okay with that. Okay, And we just want to pray together that God would give you an experience of himself. And so those of you who are believers that would like to pray for people that just looked up at me that are seeking God right now, if he's really there, would you just, by, uh, by an indicator that you're praying for him, would you just indicate that by raising your hands up real quick? And you're, you're reaching out to God on their behalf and saying, God, would you please reveal yourself to these folks that just prayed that dangerous prayer, the seeker's prayer. Pray in your own hearts right now, in your own minds for those around you. And I will voice a prayer to represent all of our prayers together. God, you are such a good God. And God, we totally respect those who just prayed to seek you. We respect their honesty and openness. And we ask you, God, by your spirit, would you please move and work and reveal yourself to them in special ways? Because we know that when you reveal yourself, you're like a good, loving father. You're not trying to just get them to fall in line with a bunch of religious rules, but you're there trying to draw them into your family of love. So, Father, good father, please reward their prayer, their, their prayer of seeking Please, we ask you because we love and we have a burden for people that want, want to know if you're legit and for real. So please, Father, answer our prayers. Please, Father, there's a humble woman somewhere here praying and asking. There's a humble man, and he's not a real flashy guy, but he's praying, and his heart is pure, and you'll answer his prayers. Lord, hear all of our prayers collectively together for those that are seeking you. You can put your hands down. And as we wrap up our prayer time, there is one last prayer to pray. If for some reason God has given you the capacity right now to believe, it's something that transcends just a feeling or a thought. It combines the two, no doubt. But by God's Spirit, you're being given the capacity to believe not only that He exists, but that Jesus died on the cross for you and that God wants to be your Father and welcome you into His family. I want you to pray the prayer of belief now. And before you pray it, I want you to just peek up at me. If you're going to pray to begin a love relationship with God for the first time in your life, just peek up at me real quick. And look at me. Look right here. Good. This is what you're doing in your heart. You're sitting in the chair, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your eternity. 
and just pray these words in your heart between you and God right now. God, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he died there for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to just want to just want to quote a verse to you that says, where God says, many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And what just took place in your prayer to God is so significant. You were just adopted into a family, the family of the living God. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in hearts and minds on this unlikely Sunday. We're just so honored that you would visit us and speak to us and reveal yourself to us. And we give you credit and honor for all the good that you're doing in our church. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.